0: Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays. Hello, I'm Dave Farrar and welcome to you wherever you are in the world. It's been another weekend of unpredictability, sublime finishes and last-minute goals. And that was just the Merseyside derby.
1: Well, I was so proud and honoured. It's one of the best environments that I've seen where football can be played. I thought the fans were magnificent.
0: Elsewhere, Fraser Campbell inflicts more misery on a Manchester club.
2: You know, that's what the manager gets into us. You know, he says, fight right to the last minute. And that's what we've done today. Grind it out like we've done in previous games. And hopefully you can get something out of the game.
0: And Tony Pulis makes a return to the top flight. I'm still very... Very, very ambitious. I like climbing hills, and this is, you know, this is going to be a tough job, but one that I'll relish. We'll speak exclusively to the former Crystal Palace striker Mark Bright about the new man in charge at Selhurst Park. Former Everton defender David Weir helps us dissect what was a pulsating Merseyside derby. Plus, we hear from Jose Mourinho, Charlie Adam, and an informed Loic Remy. Hello and welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, I'm Dave Farrar and joining me to discuss all the issues from another dramatic weekend of top flight action is the former Republic of Ireland midfielder Matt Holland, hi Matt. Hi Dave. So it's another weekend of high drama, goals are plenty
3: of course, 34 in total, joint most this season, a lot to enjoy. There was indeed, absolutely, I thought the Merseyside derby kicked it off in great fashion, thought that was a great game, could have gone either way. What about Cardiff scoring in the equaliser late against Man United? That was a big story. And then I suppose Man City thumping Spurs on Sunday was the biggest story. Um, And City putting down a a real marker in terms of their challenge for the uh, Barclays Premier League.
0: And coming up we'll be speaking to a lifelong Manchester City fan about that win and find out why he has of all things a Manchester United tattoo. But we have to start at Goodison Park where Everton and Liverpool played out an extraordinary three-all draw in what was one of the most exciting Merseyside derbies in recent history. What did you make of it? There was so much to take from it, so much to
3: enjoy in it, yeah, there was a lot of talking points. There was the uh, Miralas challenge on Luis Suarez, which yeah, he picked up a yellow card, but should probably have been sent off. Le Carre, who had so many chances, one on ones. You thought it wasn't going to be his day, and all of a sudden he pops up with a couple of goals, and then Everton looked like they're going to win it, and then Daniel Sturridge pops up off the bench and gets that equaliser. So it was end to end. It was very open. Two sides, I suppose, under their managers that want to try and play football. It wasn't that type of game. It was a proper derby match where challenges were flying in. It was end to end. There was tempo. About about it great atmosphere you know often with those early kickoffs as well it, it can dampen that a little bit but none of that it was a, a fantastic game
0: well let's get the verdicts now both managers before we hear more from Matt Liverpool's Brendan Rodgers, but first the Everton boss Roberto Martinez
3: first of all I was so
1: proud and honored this is one of the best environments that I've seen where football can be played I thought the fans were magnificent I think it's a lot of negative press many many times surrounding football I thought today was an example how to behave in a football ground and to enjoy a football and in terms of the football we had a bit of everything from our point of view obviously really disappointed to concede three goals from that ball situations I thought the first half without being at our best we were in control and I think we were magnificent in terms of the amount of chances that we created
4: I had everything in it. There was quality, I was happy in moments, there was disappointment. When you come off a game like that there, you come away to one of your rivals and you play like we did for parts of the game and then and also show the character to come from behind towards the end. It tells me everything really of where my group is at. A point away from home against a rival is always a very good result, but obviously we'll, we'll look at it and think, well, it's a game that with a bit better control we could have won.
0: Well, to discuss this breathless Merseyside derby in more detail, we're joined by an Everton legend now, their former defender and coach, David Weir. David, Alan Hansen said it was the best Merseyside derby he'd ever seen. Do you agree with that?
4: Well, it was certainly exciting in regards to goals scored and chances created. And it depends what you consider it would be best, really, I suppose. I suppose for goals and action and chances, then it definitely was, yeah.
0: Both managers preach passing football, don't they? Um, yeah. Did that go out of the window a bit? I mean, it was quite harem-scarem, wasn't it, in the second half?
4: Yeah, I think it was. I think, you know, when you, you look at both coaches and you look at the way you know they like to play and they like to dominate the ball and they like to make passes, I'm thinking, yeah, you look at the actual numbers of the passes that were made and the data that came for the game probably didn't match up to what they wanted, but the product, the game itself, was very, very exciting. The fans would have loved it and there were trials and tribulations, so it was a very enjoyable spectacle, although probably not the sort of tactical game that they would have planned.
3: Do you think that Everton had done enough to win the game? I mean, uh, Romelu Lukaku had had one of those days, he had a few chances and then put them Three two up. Did you think at that stage Everton were going and win?
4: I think when you get, you know, as late in the game as it went and Everton were leading, then I think, you know, you've got to be hoping to win the game. So that that'll be disappointing, you know, it'd be so close and then, you know, not win the game. But I think there was chances on both ends. I think Everton, in my opinion, had probably the better of the game, but Liverpool had some fantastic chances as well to, you know, increase their scoreline as well. So it's you know, it is one of those games you could probably make a case for both teams.
0: It's good to see Ross Barkley having a good game, wasn't it, David? Uh, You know he's had a bit of a dip in form, which is allowed too, isn't he? When he's a teenager, but he looks the real deal, doesn't he?
4: Oh yes, he's unquestionably a talented boy and you know a nice lad as well. And he's getting better. And as you say, he's he's so young that invariably there'll be ups and downs, and you can't expect him to perform at his top level week in, week out. And you know his top level is very high, so you know it's just a matter of using him sparingly and you know getting the best out of him and seeing him progress and develop and become the player that we all know that he can be and hope he becomes.
3: It's only one defeat now f- for Everton this season. The style of play has changed. How good a start to life at, at Goodison has Roberto Martinez made?
4: I think he's made a very good start. I think, you know, I'm sure they think they could have picked up a few more points as well in some of the games. You know, I'm sure they'll be frustrated by that. But as you say, a lot of transition, a lot of changes in regards to personnel style and just getting used to the manager as well. So there's been a lot of upheaval and, you know, to go relatively smooth will be as it has then you know I'm sure that's very pleasing and I'm sure you know the manager will look to improve on that as well and you know there's a high standard at Everton now because of the, you know, the previous manager what he did in regards to where they finished the season and year after year they were in the top six and you know that set the bar very high and that's not easy to do that and you know, I'm sure that'll be the target again.
0: Yeah relatively uh, sort of smooth start. It's going to be tested isn't it? Leighton Baines we know now is out for six weeks with this um, toe injury that will test Martinez won't it?
4: Yeah that's a massive blow you know Everton used to Leighton Baines and take for granted, you know what he gives them, and he doesn't miss games. You know that's the other thing. I think if you look at his record, both at Everton and Wigan, he's you know he's incredible in the amount of games he churns out and puts in the level of performance that he does week in week out. So that's a massive miss, you know, because of, you know how important he is and how important he is. You know the relationship in the team with Steven Pina in front of them and Sylvan that next him, and you know he, he makes these players better. So that's it's a big big blow for Everton. But you know over the course of the season, you get these sort of obstacles, and that you know how Everton responds to that it, will be a big part of how well they do.
0: Just finally, David, we'll be hearing from Fabrice Muamba a bit later in the show, talking about the launch okay. of the new Barclays Merit Award. Uh, one of the categories is unsung hero. I wondered, from your time as a player and coach at Everton, any anyone at the club you'd single out maybe as an unsung hero?
4: The one that stands out for me is Sylvain Distan. He never gets a great deal of publicity, but I think he's 35, 36 now. He's level of play and he's level of consistency and his athleticism and stuff that I think is really, really special. And seeing how hard he works behind the scenes to do that, so I think Sylvain's relatively low profile as a player and those players go, but I think what he gives to Everton, I think he deserves a tag like that.
0: Yeah, he's also an incredibly nice fella as well, isn't he, Sylvain Distan? Uh, David, thank you very much indeed for
3: your time. No problem at all.
0: Good to hear from uh, David. Quick word on Liverpool, Matt, Suarez and Sturridge partnership in full swing again, it would seem. 18 now between them this season.
3: Yeah, despite Daniel Sturridge, of course, not starting the game. I mean, he was probably disappointed to be left out. He played a full game for England, didn't he? And then came back and and Brendan Rodgers said he's not fit enough, if you like, to start the game. Held him in reserve. Suarez had been halfway around the world and came back and still gave him a terrific performance. Those two have been great. There's a lot of question marks about whether they could fit them both into the same team because this time last year he was playing one out wide and one through the middle, both of them want to play centrally, he's changed his formation even to get them into the team, he played three at the back for a period just to get those two up top and they've gelled very very well and a really important goal that Daniel Sturridge scored coming off the bench
0: Key one wasn't it, they're in it for the long
3: haul Liverpool, they're second and any chance they could win it? I still don't think they're quite strong enough to win it, this season I think Brendan Rodgers would have been targeting the top four, I think that would have been his first priority Uh, and if they achieve that I think he'd be very very pleased, there's probably stronger squads in depth than Liverpool which in the long term will probably show through. But I think that if they finish in the top four, Brendan Rodgers will be delighted.
0: A little later on Saturday, Arsenal extended their lead over Liverpool at the top of the table to four points after seeing off a well-organised Southampton side 2-0 at the Emirates. It was um, the kind of thing league winners do, wasn't it? It was workmanlike, not spectacular, and it was more Arsenal of old than Arsenal in recent years.
3: Yeah, I thought it was a good performance by them, actually. Uh, You know, Southampton press high up the pitch. They try and close you down at the back and win the ball back in really good areas. Arsenal almost changed their game plan, if you like. They went a little bit longer. They went into Giroud and played off him and played in the opposition half rather than allowing themselves to try and play from the back and get caught in tight areas. Southampton, I thought, just lacked a little bit of energy about them, which has been so impressive this season. They are very fit. We know that the manager likes them to do double sessions in the week, training, and I just felt they lacked a little bit of tempo about their game. Mistakes ultimately have cost them. You know, the goalkeeper makes it an absolute howler and then the penalty as well where he's pulling his shirt. Two stupid mistakes really have cost them getting any points.
0: Olivier Giroud with both goals. That's now seven in the league, and uh, he really is making a big difference now,
3: isn't he? Yeah, he is. I-, I think he's he has to stay fit, though. You know, Arsene Wenger's talked about striker, and maybe in January, but he said he's got Wolcott back now, he's got Podolsky back in a couple of weeks. He doesn't feel he needs it. I think he does, if Giroud gets injured. I think if he's out for any period of time, they're going to really miss him, because he does give you that physical threat up top. I don't think at times his movement is brilliant, but if he's got pace and the likes of Kazola and Outsal in behind him, who will do that and try and get on the ball, he knows where the goal is, and I thought he was very impressive at the week
0: Yeah, as you mentioned, another welcome sight for manager Arsene Wenger on Saturday was the return to action of Theo Walcott after two months out and the Englishman's just pleased to be back playing.
3: Any player injured wants
4: to go out there and perform. It's frustrating at times, but, you know, you got to just think of, you've got to get back fit as soon as you can. And uh, it's been a long time coming, and you know, it's, it's long enough thought, but, you know, it's, it's, so, it's so good to be back on the pitch with the guys and playing in such a fantastic team, and it's easy when you win as well.
0: Yeah, Theo Walcott adds, really, to their
3: already formidable midfield, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, and actually, I think it's a great time for him to come back. Against United a couple of weeks ago, Arsenal just kept coming towards the ball and had no threat in behind, and that's exactly what Theo Walcott gives you. And I think from Ozil's point, he's been a little bit disappointed. Point in him recent weeks, and I think that's probably because he hasn't had that out ball in behind. And Walcott coming back really does give them that.
0: And as for Southampton, their first league defeat since late August, unbelievably, really, it sees them drop to fifth in the table.
3: But they did play well, Matt. They played okay. As I say, I just think it was a, a little bit of lack of energy about them. Lambert didn't have his best game up top. You just wonder sometimes when players go away on the international front as well. It's it's quite a new experience for some of these boys, Rodriguez and Lalana. Actually, Rodriguez I thought was probably their best player on the day. I thought he took the game to them. He he got Southampton out of tight areas and ran them up the pitch. Pitch, but they weren't at their best they kept the ball okay but just they needed a little bit more energy about them
0: and We also edged Arsenal in the possession stakes which takes some doing but what about Arthur Boric you're a manager you set the team up you do everything that you
3: want your players put it into plan and then that happens I don't know what he's thinking I really don't know what he's thinking he had probably four chances to clear it and didn't take any of them ideally he hits it first time but once he's had his touch then he has to clear it then he comes back and he's still got another chance you think you just clear it just get it out of the danger area it's great that teams want to play from the back and goalkeepers nowadays are a big part of that but You can't take any risks like that.
0: We should also mention that Dayan Lovren uh, withdrew late on due to illness, which wouldn't have helped. Uh, Southampton have been excellent defensively. He's probably been their best defender as well, so I'm sure they'll come again. Now, coming up, we'll be speaking exclusively to the Crystal Palace legend, Mark Bright, about the new man in charge at Sellers Park. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Dave Farrar. So to South Wales next, where new boys Cardiff scored a dramatic late equaliser to deny champions Manchester United a fourth consecutive league win, substitute
3: Kimbo Kyung with the stoppage time strike. And Cardiff were worth it, weren't they? They were. I thought they were very impressive. The second half actually had tailed off a little bit and you felt that time was running out for them and, and they were running out of ideas in that second period. First half, I thought they were exceptional. So unlucky to be a goal down at half-time. They were very impressive. I thought the opening goal from Fraser Campbell was a fantastic goal. I mean, two great forward passes uh, looking to be popular. They certainly did deserve that point.
0: Yeah, Fraser Campbell got the first and he put in a brilliant all-round performance. His manager, Malky Mackay, was full of praise for the striker afterwards.
1: I thought it was a lovely goal. He nearly scored an even better one. It was an incredible chip. But um,
0: Fraser's got a second chance in terms of a really bad injury in his career and he's come back from that at
1: Sunderland and we've managed to get him did really well for us and was a massive part of helping us in the push for promotion last year and I've got a Premier League centre forward without a doubt he did. He showed that already this season
2: he's a goal scorer a couple against Man City took his goal really well today and as I say I thought it was a beautiful bit of brilliant skill
0: yeah nice for him against his old club as well and and what about that bit of skill the chip that he was so unfortunate with
3: yeah he was I thought he, he was outstanding I mean he's been great against the two Manchester clubs hasn't he against Man City early in the season he was uh, fantastic and played a big part in that victory I've talked already about Theo Walcott and the threat that he gives you know Arsenal in, in running behind. It's exactly what Fraser Campbell does. I mean, for that opening goal, he's on the shoulder of Johnny Evans and, and looking to get into that gap. The pass from Jordan Much was brilliant as well. But his finishing, I thought, was exceptional.
0: Well, as for United, a damaging late goal to concede. Manager David Moyes knew it was an opportunity missed.
3: Just disappointment that we didn't take all three points in the end.
2: But uh, Cardiff made a game of it and put us under some pressure. We gave away a stupid free kick which led to the goal. We had one or two chances ourselves, which we maybe could have put the game to bed earlier. I actually thought their first goal. They, they made two really good passes. I don't know if if I gave them the chance to make that same pass again. Would they do it? I'm not sure. But they made it today and uh, they got their goal from it. But the second one was, as I said, we gave away a free kick. We should never have put ourselves in that position and, and we didn't defend it well enough.
0: Wayne Rooney was once again central to everything, wasn't he, Matt? He got all of the headlines, scored the first, set up the second, missed a great chance to win it late on, but
3: was he lucky to still be on the pitch? Yes, he was very lucky. Very early in the game, he kicks out, referee sees it and feels it's only worth a yellow card. Well, I think it's a clear red card and he, he was very fortunate to be on the pitch. He made the most of staying on because he was exceptional again. He's been great this season, he really has. I mean, his attitude has been fantastic. It's funny, isn't it, when you see him celebrate the goal as he did this weekend. Early on in the season against Swansea, his reaction to something... Some of the goals was very, very different. It looks, you know, as if he still wanted to believe in Manchester United. Well, that looks now as though that's changed. He looks as though he's really enjoying his football again. Yes, he should have been sent off, but he was very good after that incident. And Cardiff midfielder Gary
0: Medell maybe was fortunate to stay on the pitch after lashing out at Fellaini, so you could argue the two incidents
3: cancel each other out. Different times in the game, and Wayne Rooney is so pivotal to what United do. If he'd have gone off that early in the game, then, you know, United may not have got anything from the game. But yeah, I think Medell was very fortunate as well in, in that incident with Fellaini. What about the midfield, they Lightweight down in there with Cleverly and Fellaini. Do you still think they're a player short in there? Well, I think David Moyes knows he is. I think he tried to get two players in that central midfield area in the summer. He got one in Fellaini. He hasn't hit the ground running as yet. I don't think he's played particularly well for United. You know he went for Fabregas. He went for a few other players in that position. It didn't come off. He knows that's an area where he has to improve the team.
0: And just a final word about Manchester United. Uh, United legend Bill Fox passed away this week. Only uh, Sir Bobby Charlton, Ryan Giggs and Paul Scholes have played more times for United than the Busby Baber who survived the uh, the Munich air crash and made 688 appearances for the club and Matt legend's overused isn't it but he really
3: was absolutely what a fantastic player for United you know there's a lot of players in that era who perhaps got more headlines than he did but was he any less important I don't think so
0: well another Welsh club who left it late at the weekend was Swansea who edged past Fulham 2-1 at Craven Cottage thanks to a late strike from substitute John Joe Shelby I
2: think I just had a few words at half time said that we need to up our game and, and up the tempo i am sitting on the sideline it's a bit boring to us in the first half. It was, no team was either doing anything so I think we took the initial to get going in the second half and obviously it's paid off. It's always hard coming off the bench but disappointed not to, to start initially but I'm just glad I got on and got the winner.
0: Terrific finish wasn't it from Shelby. Great quick feet and then a really good finish. Get
3: Swansea back on track as well. First of all it was a great goal. I know John Joe very well. I, he made his debut alongside me in midfield. I could have been 20 years older than him I think at the time but he's a he is a fantastic player. Very capable of that goal he scored. I'd like to see him do it more often. He is that good and um, he could do it more often. But a big win for Swansea. I mean, Fulham are really struggling um, and Swansea needed it.
0: And as for Fulham, yeah, eight defeat in 12 now. It keeps them in the bottom three. Manager Martin Yol said he felt they created enough chances to win the match.
1: That was very tough. Of course, the second half was a bit different, but the first half he could have been 2 0 no up. And normally, uh, with, with uh, players like Babbitt or Bent, Bent could have scored a hat trick today. You would be uh, 2 0 no up and we weren't. And that was the only thing, you know, because we wanted to surprise him in the spine of the. With the pace of uh, Darren Bent. Uh, I think it almost paid off, but it didn't, so it can work against you. And then they scored from that free kick because we didn't pay attention and cross goal, and we scored the young goal, so that was very, very unlucky.
0: It was Martin Yell's first match, Matt, with the new head coach, René Mullenstein. Did you notice any difference in their style of play?
3: Not particularly. When I look at their team, I just feel sometimes that with their forward-thinking players, there's not enough work rate in trying to win the ball back. I think that's the biggest problem that they have at the moment with Fulham. You know, I think they've got good players, Bent, Ruiz, Berbatov, people like that. They're all very good individual players, but as a team, I don't think they're doing enough to win the ball back. And that's something that I think that the new coach will be trying to work on.
0: Yeah, we'll see if it can improve Fulham. It seems they're very much a team now, and it's not that Mullenstein's putting pressure on Yol, but we'll see how that develops now just three points behind Fulham in 18th place at Crystal Palace who battled their way to a superb 1-0 win at Hull City despite being reduced to ten men late on a good way then for interim manager Keith Millen to sign off and a real reason for optimism for the newly appointed Tony
2: Pulis it's a smashing club it's got great history You know, it's going to be a tough job. I know it's going to be a tough job. And, you know, I've not come into this football club with any illusions that, you know, it's going to be anything but a tough job. But, you know, spending a bit of time and looking at what has happened over the the few years at the football club, I think it's been a remarkable turnaround. I think the, um, you know, the board of directors, the chairman who sat next to me, have got to be really applauded for not only looking after the football club financially, but then pushing it on. and, And you have a look how far they've come. After a few years has been remarkable. So it's an opportunity and a chance to try and achieve something that Palace haven't achieved, and that is get promoted and then stay and then take the club forward.
0: So a new start for the Eagles, but is it too little too late? Let's speak to the former Palace striker Mark Bright. Now we'll discuss Tony Pulis in a moment, but let's start with that win at Harla. Terrific result against the Hull Side, who, who let's remember we're unbeaten at home.
1: Yeah, I mean, Palace haven't had an away win. And I think the team would be well aware, you know, they had a, a really good result against Everton the week before when they kept a clean sheet, nil-nil, and they should have really won it. Jerome Thomas had a great chance, went through, and put it over the bar. So I think they went there in a real confident mood and knowing that it was the start of a sequence of games that they had to win to give themselves a fighting chance. So Hull was the start of it. And obviously, with Norwich, West Ham and Cardiff coming up next, they, they're the other three teams directly above Palace. So it was a it was a really good win. The sent off down to 10 men when I saw that I thought oh we're going to struggle now but they um, showed a lot of character and spirit and um, all credit to Keith Millen who's, who's just held the reins he's really done quite well you know four points in four games it's, it's the best run that I've had this season
0: what do you make of the man who's going to replace him though Mark uh, Tony Pulis of course appointed on Saturday watched from the stands is he the right man do you think
1: well he's the man that um, Steve and the board have chosen Steve was criticised. I think the club were unfairly criticised for not making a decision quicker. And, you know, I know Steve really well. And he said, you know, I'm going to employ a guy for the next three or four years who I've met for half an hour. You know, I want to be sure and I want to have a good talk to quite a few people and look around. And we all know Tony's track record, you know, has uh, never been relegated. But also, he's had, he's had several promotions as well. And people kind of always say, well, he's never been relegated as opposed to he's taken teams up. So... Tony's like a, a really strong and positive person. I think the club needs it now, needs stability, needs discipline on the field, structure, and uh, hopefully he can bring us some clean sheets. But I'm, I'm one of those people who welcome him with open arms. I know him from... Um my time when I go up to Stoke to see my family, I always pop in and see John, Rudge and Tony. Makes you very welcome. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see him because it, I think it gives us a real chance.
3: And what about the supporters, Brighty? Are, are they have the same feeling as you are? Because there's been one or two saying, oh, he's a long ball merchant. He hits it into the channels and we play in the opposition half. Are, are the Crystal Palace fans happy with the appointment? I think they're mixed. Listen, I think, I think they wanted Pep Guardiola
1: <laughs> everybody seems to want, you know, to play this beautiful football but you have to be realistic with Crystal Palace everybody wants to play beautiful football but in reality there's a handful of teams in the Premier League who play it well, you well know? and I think you can put Swansea in that handful who have a system a structure in place a philosophy at their football club which everybody can see they play week in and week out so listen if I said to the Palace fans now Matt would you have six consecutive seasons in the Premier League in an FA Cup final which is probably what Tony gave Stoke City everyone would say yes
0: you talk about goal scoring, Mark. They've only scored seven in their twelve games this season. Who do you think Tony Pulis will look to for goals?
1: Well, obviously we've we've got Dwight Gale and I think he's a real prospect. I really do, and I think um, people have criticised, you know, well he's your he's the most expensive signing. Um, he's only got a couple of goals. There's a lot of players who've only got a couple of goals. If you're looking from open play, you know, you know, no further than the 25 million pound man sign signed for Spurs. But Dwight Gale will do well. I'm convinced of that. Shamak has worked really hard. I think he's been criticised unfairly. I think he's put in um, a lot of really good shifts. He's led the line well. He's only missed a couple of little chances. And I think if he gets a couple of goals, he'll be off and running. I go down the training ground, I speak to the boys, and Cameron Jerome did ever so well for the goal at the weekend, cutting it back to the banner. So we've got players who can put the ball in the net. And, you know, Glenn Murray's on target to come back in January now. Glenn in his first season, when he came from Brighton, scored some like, seven goals. And everybody said, oh, he did better for Brighton than us. I said, but he hasn't had a lot of chances. We didn't play a way which gave him a lot of chances. The second season, he scored 30. And you know how hard it is to score 30 goals. So we have to create the opportunities to give the strikers a chance. But I think there's money available in January. I think Tony talked about that with Steve Parrish. And um, I looked at Southampton's record last year, Matt. And I think at Christmas, I think, I think they had something like 15 points they had four points from their first 11 games and then in the second half of the season they went on a brilliant run and they finished 14th with 41 points now okay palace not Southampton, but what you have to look at is statistics and say right what is achievable 26 games to play 78 points to go for palace needs 30 points minimum 30 points so every game now is vitally important tony's in there and as i said they've just gone off, off the back of everton draw the away one uh one nil They've got Norwich, West Ham and Cardiff next. They are the key games in this season.
0: Just finally, Mark, Fabrice Mwamba has launched the new Barclays Merit Award this week. One of the categories is performance milestone uh, to do with you know longevity and giving lots to the game. As someone who's given a lot back to the game yourself, is there a player you'd say has given outstanding service throughout the course of his career that you would sort of uh, put forward for this award?
1: Frank Lampard, to achieve what he's achieved in the toughest league at the height he's played um, a level of consistency and professionalism on and off the field. I think he's a shining light. I think he's a beacon for any young players. If you're a father and you want your son to emulate someone, you know, be like he is very professional. Um, I don't know other than that. Matt, probably.
0: Yeah, we, de- <laughs> we decided to give it to Matt Brighty. <laughs> you two can share it next month. Uh, listen, thank you very much indeed for your time, My pleasure. See you later. That was uh, Mark Bright. Great to uh, hear from him. A word about Hull, Matt, as well. As for them, first home defeat of the season, but fourth defeat in their last five league games. Will Steve Bruce be getting worried now?
3: Yeah, I actually saw Steve Bruce in the summer. I said to him how difficult it was going to be, and he he was under no illusions. He knew it was going to be a tough season for him. They got off to a great start, which was fantastic for them, but Crystal Palace at home is a game that you would target to try and get three points, and I think that's what will disappoint him more than anything. Well,
0: we're going to veer away from the weekend's action for a moment now. Fabrice Muamba is someone who knows all too well the important work that many low profile people at clubs in the barclays premier league carry out last year the midfielder suffered a cardiac arrest while playing for bolton away at spurs and the medical staff of both clubs were crucial in saving his life so as we were just discussing with mark bright the 25 year old is the ideal person to help judge the new barclays merit award which has been created to recognize outstanding achievements made by players managers and lesser known club staff members in england's top flight we'll hear from muamba in a moment but first arsene wenger has been speaking about the former midfielder's unique story
2: The greatest act of sportsmanship I've seen in football may be the life saved of Fabrice Mouamba when he was uh, on the pitch uh, at Tottenham and the doctors refused to give up and finally, after 70 minutes, uh, got him to live again and that everybody uh, was uh, really relieved by that. It was uh, fantastic uh, that... uh, even when the competition is at the best level, but uh, you have the quality and uh, that football can save lives. It's f- nothing better than that.
4: A lot of stuff in football get recognised, but uh, other stuff don't get recognised. And I think this award recognises people who do so many stuff within the game. In the Barclays Premier League, and uh, don't get the notification. We want to give people that do the hard work behind the scene this amazing award. The Unsung Hero Award. I think um, if it was down to me to give an award, the Spurs medical staff would probably get my nominee.
0: Well, various members on the selection panel to help decide the winners of the Barclays Merit Award and to hear more from Fabrice and from Arsene Wenger, visit our Barclays Football Facebook page and the Barclays Football TV channel on YouTube. You must have played with a few unsung
3: heroes. Many would argue you won yourself. <laughs> well, Bryce has already given me the award, so that's, that's quite nice of him. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of players that perhaps don't get the recognition that they deserve. You know, not just on the field, but off the field as well. I mean, that, you know, there's a lot of good things that footballers do that don't always get reported. I mean, I played with Chris Powell at Charlton, who's now the manager of and and he was absolutely fantastic in terms of the community work that he did. You know, he went above and beyond the call of duty. I think every season we used to have a a list of how many uh, appearances each player had done in the community. Well, Chris Powell won it by about 150 one year. I mean, that's how much work he did for the football club in the community.
0: Well, plenty more to come on the show, including the Manchester City fan with a Manchester United tattoo. But now it's time for our Halftime Tweets. We'll start with Manchester City's 6-0 thumping of Spurs. Much more on them coming up. And two-goal hero Sergio Aguero tweeted, Very happy for the victory and even more for the great teamwork. This is the way to go. Now let's do the same away from home. The other Manchester club are also finding things tough away from home, having drawn 2-2 at Cardiff. Bluebirds fan Emma Watkins said afterwards, Cardiff are giving me some of the best times of my life in 2013. Amazing. The most amazing game of the weekend had to be the Merseyside derby. Everton's James McCarthy tweeted after the 3-all draw, Disappointing not to win the game. Loved my first Derby. Fans were different class. What an atmosphere. 18-year-old Southampton midfielder Harrison Reed was simply enjoying being involved in the match at Arsenal. Unbelievable experience today at the Emirates. Shame about the result, but delighted to be included in the squad. And finally, Yannick Balassi of Crystal Palace was able to look on the bright side, despite getting sent off against Hull. Good win today. Great support again from the Palace faithful. And don't worry about me. I am calm. Remember, you can keep up to date with everything that's going on in the Barclays Premier League by following at Barclays Footy on Twitter. Hashtag, you are football. I'm here with a very calm Matt Holland as we continue our look back at all the weekend's top flight action and to the Etihad Stadium next, Matt, where Manchester City hit Spurs for six in what was an ominous attacking display for the rest of the league. 13 goals in their last two home matches, 26 in total this season at the Etihad. What makes them so unstoppable at home?
3: To be honest, it's the front players at the moment. Their movement, particularly Aguera, I think he's just a fantastic player, full stop. But he and Negredo have really teamed up brilliantly. The power of Yaya Torre in midfield. They're not coming under particular pressure at the back which is something they do away from home. They've got so many different options. I mean, Navas's pace at the weekend was unreal. They're just a really good football side. I think they've got the best squad in the division. At the start of the season, I tipped them to win the Barclays Premier League and I I still haven't changed my mind, despite their troubles away from home. And what did the Manchester City manager Manuel Pellegrini make of it all?
2: It's impossible to play better than we did today, except for 15 minutes in the first half that... When we scored the first goal, we had two or three options to score the second. And after that, I think we played too quickly. We tried to arrive just with counter-attack and Tottenham has has the possession of the ball, but we we were very well uh, defending also. So after that, I think we continued the last 15 minutes of the first half very, very well. And the second was incredible.
0: Well, it was a fantastic result for the club and we can speak to one of their fans now. Chris Worthington's a City supporter from Manchester. Hi, Chris. Hello, good morning. Before we discuss the game, we've uh, also got you on the show because you've got a great story to tell as well. To raise money for the charity who helped your daughter Poppy when she uh, was ill, you got the Manchester United emblem tattooed on your arm, didn't you? We've been uh, telling our listeners about this, so we want you to tell us some more.
2: It was an idea that came about over several bottles of wine with my wife. We were just uh, thinking of something that we could do that would catch people's attention. So I just sort of blurted out, why don't I have a United tattoo on my arm? And uh, set up a Just giving page, and that's how it started, really. It just sort of snowballed a little bit, yeah.
0: It was a big thing to do of you. How much stick do you get from your city friends?
2: Quite a lot. Those that know me laugh at me. Quite a lot. I thought it was quite funny. So did my wife. Uh, obviously, I keep looking at it and thinking, what have I done? But it's- all in good fun and all for a brilliant
0: cause. Yeah, obviously. I want people to be able to picture this as well, Chris, without going into too much detail, but is it sort of visible on your arm? Is it sort of lower arm, you know, when you're wearing a short sleeve shirt there for the world to see? Yes,
2: it's on my lower forearm. Right in the middle. I committed myself to having a tattoo the size of a jam jar lid. Quite a big jam jar because it's enormous. I think the tattooist was having a bit of a laugh at me as well.
0: Yeah, but as you say, for a great cause and a brave thing to do, I'm not sure I could have an Oxford United tattoo <laughs> on, on, on my floor. And what about you, Matt? I know what the answer to this is, but what would be the one tattoo you don't want? I don't want any tattoos.
3: I haven't got any. I'm about the only footballer I know that hasn't got any. I don't want any tattoos. You don't want picture of Jeremy Goss, no? Uh, no, certainly not. No. OK, that's, <laughs> a,
0: that's a disturbing thought. Anyway, Chris, I think we should go back to the game. Um, stunning win over Spurs Possibly worthy of a tattoo, to be honest. You surely couldn't have imagined it would be this comfortable.
2: No. Not at all. I thought it'd be really, really close. I wouldn't have been over-surprised if it had been a draw, to be honest with you, but City at home, I just don't think anybody can live with us. Anybody at all. Do you think you're
3: worthy of the favourites tag now for the title? Lots of the bookmakers have you as the favourites and, and certainly your form at home is very, very good.
2: I think that would be fair at the moment. I think there's going to be a few teams that are frightened of us. I actually can't see us losing a game at home. It's just get the away form sorted out a little bit and I can see us running away with it, if I'm perfectly honest with you.
0: Well, that is confidence. Can you Explain something for all of us as well, Chris, if you can. Why is it that you're so great at home? I am mean, not good, but great, fantastic at home, but you've lost four away matches this season. Can, can you put your finger on
2: it? The only thing I can think is that it's probably a confidence thing. It's a daunting place to go for away teams as well. And when you get the fans behind them, you get a bit of confidence. You know, very few teams can live with us at home.
0: OK, and the fans obviously have a big part to play, don't they? at The Etihad as well. The
3: atmosphere on Sunday was, was fantastic.
2: Yeah, the best fans in the Premier League, <laughs> obviously.
0: Yeah, I think everyone says that, don't they?
3: And have you got yeah. the best strike force in the Barclays Premier League? Aguero
2: and Negrado, I just think, are getting a little bit overlooked, really. But when you see them play, especially Negrado, he's absolutely frightening. And then you get it back with to Yaya Torre, who never, ever loses the ball. I just think we're going to see more big scores coming from the F.R., actually.
0: And just finally, Chris, if I offered you uh, one player, if you win the league this season, you can have on the other arm, uh, who would it be? Who's, whose face would get tattooed on that other forearm? Aguero. I thought you were going to say Colin Bell for a second there, but uh, Aguero, <laughs> Aguero's the man. Listen, thanks very much indeed for your time.
2: You're welcome.
0: Thank you very much. That was uh, Chris Worthington. Lovely story as well. Not so lovely. For Spurs, it was a very bad day for AVB as they slumped to their biggest league defeat since losing 7-1 to Newcastle in December 1996. And the Spurs manager made no excuses afterwards.
4: We had a, a small reaction when we came up from halftime. If we managed to score one, you will get back into the game. But I think from the moment that we suffered the 4 nil we mentally weren't playing the game difficult conditions for for the players, for everybody. We had uh, high expectations to do well, and I think because of those expectations, uh, you know, to see us 4 um, 0 down after 51 minutes, that um, mentally takes us uh, very, very down.
0: Yeah, man, I mean, it's extraordinary. Prior to this match, Spurs had conceded just one league
3: goal on the road
0: this season, and there you go, mm-hmm. six. All of a sudden, they weren't at the races, were they?
3: Yeah, I mean, it went wrong really from the first whistle, didn't it? Louise kicking the ball straight to the opposition, conceding a goal within what 13, 14 seconds, and it just went from bad to worse from there. It, it was a strange display from them really because they have been so solid, so defensively organised and yet they were very stretched. I don't know the reason for that but they were very open and got caught so often on the counter-attack by Manchester City. I mean,
0: you played a lot.
3: Do players just have days like that?
0: You know when nothing is right and you have a nightmare maybe have the wrong attitude. Does that happen as a
3: pro? Yeah it does and sometimes you come up against an opposition that are in great form and certainly in the strikers Aguero and Negredo. The City have got that at the moment. Stats wise they didn't look a great deal in the match and that's why they they can be so misleading. I felt Spurs at times were too open, which is something that we haven't said about them at all this season. They haven't scored enough goals, but defensively, they've been tough to beat. That was out the window this weekend. It was just one of those days for them. Spurs had more possession, I think I'm right in
0: saying, over the 90 minutes as well. One point from the last three top flight outings. They're now ninth in the Barclays Premier League. Two questions. Does it make the top four unrealistic? And whisper it if you dare, but is
3: the top man under pressure as well. I think he's under pressure, yeah, because he spent so much money in the summer. I know that Gareth Bale left, which was a huge loss for them because he got them so many points last year from positions where you're thinking, okay, two minutes to go in a game at the level, and he popped up with a wonder strike that got them all the three points. So I think he's under pressure simply because of the money he's spent. Top four, I still think they're capable of it. I think the squad that they've got is very good. They just have to get a little bit more support to Soldado. They have to find the right balance in attack, whether that's getting the right players in the wide positions and on the right side, side, because he's switched Townsend, he's switched Lennon, they've played on different sides, so it's getting that balance right up front, but I also think they've got to get closer to Soldado and help him, because he is very isolated.
0: Well, in East London on Saturday evening, former Hammer Frank Lampard rediscovered his scoring touch to inspire Chelsea to a comprehensive 3-0 win over his old club at Upton Park. Those two strikes for Lampard ended his run of 10 Barclays Premier League matches without a goal, and that was his longest drought, you know, since joining Chelsea from the Hammers
3: in 2001. I suppose, ultimately, you can't keep a good man down. We had Brightie on earlier saying about the longevity of uh, Frank Lampard and how good he's been in the Barclays Premier League. And, and we saw it again at the weekend, which my longest barren spell was 10 Barclays Premier League matches. Just a fantastic run that Frank Lampard has had throughout his career. And the goals he scored every season from midfield, it's just exceptional.
0: Well, the win lifted Chelsea to third in the table, four points behind the leaders' Arsenal. Let's hear now from their manager,
4: Jose Mourinho. The team was very committed to the clean sheet. Of course, they could score, but uh, the team was very committed on that, even in defensive set-pieces. The team, big solidarity, everybody, great concentration, and, and the team was, was very solid, but at the same time, we kept always ambition to play, and the team was very comfortable. I think uh, our midfield was calm, was mature, and I think a very solid and comfortable victory comes for us in a very good moment because uh, we lost the last match away. We lost two points at home. A third consecutive match without the winning is not something that we accept very well, so it was good. This felt
0: like the Chelsea of old a bit,
3: didn't it? Yeah, it probably did. Gave very few chances away, albeit against a West Ham side that are struggling for goals themselves and looked threatening at the other end as well. A hazard, I thought, was excellent again, but so too Oscar. Oscar's energy was unreal. I mean, he, he gets about the pitch. He's always uh, looking for the ball. He's creative. He gets goals. A fantastic footballer.
0: As for West Ham, your old club, fifth league game without a win. They now sit in 17th, only above the relegation zone on goal difference. And only three points clear of the bottom two as well. You you know, they can get dragged in easily. It's not quite
3: right there, is it? No, I mean, I mentioned the lack of goals and that's been his biggest issue for Sam Allardyce. He put all his eggs in one basket in the summer by signing Andy Carroll and unfortunately, he's not been fit. So they've missed him. When he's not in the team, the style of play they have as well is something that is affected because he's such a good outlet. He holds the ball up. He brings others into play. He wins the majority of his headers and for Sam Allardyce, if he wants to play that longer ball into the front man, he hasn't got that option at the moment. So they're really missing a real focal point up top.
0: Yeah, interesting times, worrying times as well. Now, the Monday night match saw another lively derby as two Midlands rivals came head-to-head at the Hawthorns with West Brom hosting their close neighbours, Aston Villa. It finished 2-2 in the end, but it was a classic game of two halves. Let's hear what both managers made of it.
2: When you're leading comfortably 2-0, midway through the second half, you feel as though you should go on and get the three points. But Villa made a few changes. It came on, the the energy of the, the substitutes seemed to unsettle us a little bit. We gave away a bad goal. It gave Villa a bit of momentum in the game and they took advantage of it. I thought the second half, I thought we were fantastic. Really resolute. To be fair, in the first half we were down 2-0 within 10 minutes and we were just thinking we need to hang on here to half-time, get them back in and um, to be fair to them in the second half, I thought they were outstanding. I don't think anybody could ever label our team lack of character. To come back in a derby game, especially here in this atmosphere, we've got nothing but praise for them. They were terrific for us.
0: Yeah, that was Steve Clark first and then Paul Lambert second. West Brom, two sublime solo goals from Shane Long early on were in control and Villa came back at the. West Brom, though, should have sealed it. Sessegnon on Mister sitter as well, didn't he? So it was a great derby
3: game. Pulsating game, absolutely. I mean, we've already talked about the Merseyside derby and how intriguing that was and end-to-end. And it could have gone either way. This one, a bit the same, really. At, at half-time, though, you felt West Brom would, were in control, had a chance to score a third. Sessegnon missed a good opportunity. And they were left to rue that because Villa came back very, very strongly. thought Shane Long was fantastic. Stretching defences, it's, it's amazing when you have a, a striker that runs in behind how much problems it causes a defence. And that first goal, his touch was as good as you'll see to bring it back onto his left foot I'm a big fan of Shane Long at times I've been a little critical of him in terms of front of goal I don't think he, he necessarily gets the amount of goals that he perhaps should not the most natural finisher I say that and he scores two wonder goals he really was outstanding and
0: huge credit to Paul Lambert for the triple substitution as well. Weimann, Agbon, the Delph all coming on on the hour and
3: that changed the game. I think he's a really positive manager, Paul Lambert, I really do. I mean, lots of people would question why he didn't start with those players but as he said, they'd only started training I think on Friday. He couldn't start all three of them and risk them breaking down in the match. He held them in reserve and as soon as he knew it wasn't going right and he needed some fresh impetus, he brought all three on and they all made a difference.
0: Well, the draw keeps both sides neck and neck in
3: 11th and 12th in the table. Who do you think will finish higher ultimately? Difficult one. I, I really <coughs> think it's. Tough to call. I mean, West Brom have been great so far. I mean, in terms of they won at Old Trafford, they were very unlucky at, at Chelsea. They've got some really good players. Um, Alfie Tarno's impressed me this season. Villa have just got good energy about them, and I think it's a really difficult. I, at the moment, I'd probably tip towards West Brom.
0: Well, just a couple of points below West Brom and Villa in 14th, for Stoke City, who registered their first win in nine as they saw off 10 man Sunderland 2 0 at the Britannia Stadium. Midfielder Charlie Adam got the all important opener.
2: At any level, you need to make your home ground a fortress, and um, we try to do that. You know, that's three ones now. We've got this season, so the other week against Wands, who were disappointing to, to lose a two goal lead, but the lads showed good character today, come back, and um, let's say we, we deserved a win. The main objective for us was, was getting three points. You know, when you're at home, you want to take advantage, and we've done that. They went down at ten men, made it a little bit easier for us to get on the ball and pass
3: it, but overall, I thought the lads were excellent, and uh, we deserved three points.
0: It the kind of a win that Stoke needed that, wasn't it? To give them a bit of a boost. It was a nice sort of bloodless win almost.
3: Well, do you know as well, they haven't scored hardly any goals at home. I think in the last four Barclays Premier League matches, they'd only scored one goal and that was from Asmir Begovic, the goalkeeper. So they absolutely needed to start getting some goals at home. I suppose Sunderland coming to town was a good opportunity to do that and it was a, it was a great win for them and they desperately needed it.
0: Well, as for Sunderland, the defeat dropped them to the foot of the table after Palace's win at Hull, but the game was marred by the controversial sending off of defender Wes Brown in the first half. It was their fourth red card in 12 games this this season, which looks like being rescinded.
3: Are they not quite getting the rub of the green at the moment? Probably not. I mean, certainly with this decision, very, very uh, unfortunate. It wasn't even a free kick, if we're honest. I mean, Gus Poyet straight away, his reaction was to say, why have you whistled? And then to see the red card, I think he was astonished. Referee, on, on his part, probably felt it was excessive force. Wes Brown, when, I, you know, when I've watched him play over the years, he does jump into challenges, but he won the ball quite clearly. Charlie Adam got out of the way and the referee, unfortunately, got it wrong. Has Gus Poyet made Sunderland noticeably better Better than Paolo de Canio did, you think? It's difficult. I mean, you're taking over a team that's low on confidence. Often, when the new manager comes in, you get that reaction from them. And uh, beating Manchester City was was a great result for them. Difficult when you go away from home and you get you down to ten men to try and get anything from it. I think when it, as well, the two weeks he's had, it's an international break. You don't always get the players together. This week will be really important for him to try and have a full week's training with all his squad and try and implement some of his ideas onto the team.
0: Well, rounding off this week's fixtures, we go to St. James's Park, where Newcastle made it three wins on the spin with an impressive 2 1 victory over Norwich. And scorer of the first goal, Loic Remy, explains what's behind their recent upturn in form.
2: I think it's just a question of to be confident, to be strong every game, and uh, yeah, do the job. At the moment, all the team uh, in the same focus. Even the guy on the bench, when they, they come on the pitch, uh, they, they work for the team.
0: That's 8-8 eight eight now for the on-loan French striker. That's looking a great bit of business.
3: Yeah, pardon. he lost Demba Bar. Papi Cisse lost his form, if you like. He needed probably somebody up top to try and get in the goals. He's recognised that Loic Remy had a good season last year, despite being relegated. Was available, went for him. It is, as you say, a great piece of business. So It's looking like the way at the moment. He knows where the goal is, that's for sure.
0: And as for Norwich, their fifth away defeat out of six this season leaves them 16th. Again, a point above the relegation zone. Yet more pressure on Chris Hughton and that leaky defence 23 conceded.
3: Yeah, massive problem for them. They look very open. They're, they're giving silly goals away. Chris Hutton seems to be tearing his hair out over it and can't quite get the balance right. It's going to be difficult for them. He, again, there's a bit of pressure because he spent a bit of money in the summer, but he, he spent ma- the majority of that up top to try and score more goals. And defence has been the problem rather than scoring.
0: Well, let's have a quick run through all of this weekend's Barclays Premier League fixtures now. Saturday, it's all at 3 o'clock and then 1 5 30. So Villa, Sunderland, Cardiff, Arsenal, Everton Stoke, Norwich, Palace, West Ham, Fulham, Newcastle, West Brom is the late game, and what a day on Sunday. It starts with Tottenham, Manchester United, moves on to Hull, Liverpool, Man City, Swansea, and Chelsea, Southampton. Which fixtures stand out for you here, Matt?
3: Well, Spurs, Man United, both need a result, really. Spurs on the back of a a difficult run. United dropping that point at Cardiff. Don't want to get too far behind the leaders. I mean, West Ham, Fulham at the bottom in a a real relegation fight. Fulham under real pressure. West Ham can't score goals. Uh, That'd be an interesting one. Southampton as well at, at Chelsea. It'd be interesting to see if they can bounce back quickly after that defeat against Arsenal. and Another tough Game for them at Chelsea, so some really good games to look forward to this weekend coming.
0: Well, it's prediction time from you, and as you know, one word—yes or no—answers is all that we want. Nothing else is acceptable. Firstly, can Cardiff and their striker Fraser Campbell shock another of the league's big boys at home to Arsenal? Yes. Will Crystal Palace's new manager Tony Pulis get off to a winning start away at Norwich? I've got to say yes. Can West Ham get a much-needed three points at home to fellow London strugglers Fulham? Yes. Will Spurs bounce back from their humiliation at Manchester City with a home win against Manchester United? No. And can inform Southampton and their manager Mauricio Pochettino inflict a first ever league defeat on Chelsea boss Jose Mourinho at Stamford Bridge? No. Why don't you tweet us your weekend predictions? You can make them a bit longer, maybe 140 characters, at Barclays footy. Thanks very much indeed for your company, Matt. Before we go, let's have a try at this week's trivia teaser. On Sunday Manchester City's Jesus Navas took just 14 seconds to score against Spurs, but it wasn't quite the quickest goal ever scored in the Barclays Premier League so can you tell us the scorer of the fastest ever Barclays Premier League goal and how long it took to be scored if you think you know the answer tweet it to at Barclays or post it onto the Barclays football Facebook page and we'll reveal the answer on the site later in the week we'll be back next week to discuss all of the weekend's action including a couple of crucial Saturday encounters at the bottom of the table with Norwich hosting Palace and Fulham going to West Ham and the small matter of course on Sunday of Spurs against Manchester United but until then from Matt Holland and from me Dave Farah goodbye you've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League brought to you by Barclays.